Praise God. <clears throat> Praise the Lord, folks. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since He is in the position of absolute control, everything is all right. We are so glad because He is just exactly that, the same. He never changes. He never fails. I am so glad tonight to be here, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity of meeting some new friends tonight who lifted your hands on the first count that this will be the first time that you and I got to see one another. I pray tonight that this service will be a blessing to you, and I am hoping that I can be behind the cross so that our dear Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up in high profile tonight. For where he is exalted, everything else falls into its proper and rightful place. Praise God. Thank God for you and for the work that God is using you to do and through you. May his richest blessings continue to be with you. It is my pleasure tonight to be here with your pastor and his wife, Brother and Sister Kraft, very dear friends of ours from long standing, and we always are so pleased for any association we're privileged to have with them, and that is true right now. And then also to see here our dear friends, brother and sister Gossam, who have ministered in our church in times past to meet and praise the Lord with them. It's our privilege also. And Brother Johns and myself had some good time in transition on the highway today. And I appreciated that, too. So I am blessed tonight, and I've got open here on this pulpit the book of life. Praise God. And we are about to read from this book. And I invite your attention to the 42nd chapter of Isaiah. We will begin reading with the first verse of Isaiah chapter 42, beginning with verse 1. Our subject for this evening, the healer of the bruised reeds. The healer of, rather, the broken reeds. <clears throat> healer of the broken reeds. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 42. is the prophetic uh, uh, reference to Jesus Christ, spoken 712 years approximately before our Lord was born. Isaiah saw him in prophetic vision. Behold my servant, whom I uphold mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Verse 2 tells us that he will not be bombastic. He will not cry nor lift up nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He will come, and he will only come to those who invite him. He is not pushy. A bruised reed also he will not break. He is compassionate. A smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment under truth. That is, he is going to be fair when he comes. And verse 4 tells us he shall never fail. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he shall have set judgment in the earth, 
and the isles to wait for his law. Primarily from verse 3, we draw our thought. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. Dear God, tonight only you know the people who are here, the situations that they came from today and all that transpired on the job. You know, dear Lord Jesus, the condition of every home. And dear God, the individuals that stand here tonight, the problems that may confront them, the needs that might seem to be so drastic in their lives tonight. O tender shepherd of old, come and walk, I pray, among thy sheep. Feed us, O Lord, so bountifully and correctly tonight. In the name of Jesus, break, I pray, the portion that we need. In the name of the Lord, we have no strength but thine. Thine, O God, is the hand that must point the direction tonight. Lord Jesus, cover us with the mantle of thy love. May we hear your footsteps fall softly tonight at the door of our soul. May we open at your first knock. My God, I pray that you would make us ready for your word. In the name of Jesus, for thy glory and thy honor we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Praise God, the healer of the broken reed. There's many strange professions in the world today. I was in World Evangelism Center a few days ago and talking to Brother MacFarlane about some matters. Made mention about the computer system and it's working. He told me that they did not buy computers. They simply leased them because there was such a continuous upgrading of these machines and it would be foolish to tie money up in them. With the particular lease also, he said, they were advantaged with a service contract. There were repairmen that came out immediately on call, took care of the machine, or moved another one in so that their operation would not be hindered or curtailed. I thought to myself, what uh, skilled men these must be, what intricate uh, workings are in the heart of these things, these computers that are so <coughs> delicate, so accurate. It must take a person with quite a bit of training to be able to repair them. A lot of different professions in the world today, a lot of strange professions. Among those that are coming back into being today is one that used to be plentiful and quite old, and that is the profession of the chimney sweep. We had a fellow knock on our door not long ago offering to sweep our chimney, to clean it, warned us against a, a chimney fire. Well, I've been burning wood and various chimneys and stove pipes for a long time. Never have seen a chimney fire. They say that uh, such could be though and so on, chimney sweep. But tonight I have uh, brought here by verse of Scripture into this congregation someone that came so long ago whose profession is not well known but who is so drastically needed he is the healer of the broken reed. I'd like for you tonight to behold him in imagination and by the <coughs> rail work and guidelines of the Scripture tonight, as it were coming from this side down the hill long ago, a shepherd in front of his sheep. He's leading them to water. Down below he sees the marshy flats where the waters receded 
Now then it's dry, ground is parched and cracked. But there stands the reeds, dead now, but where they had grown up. And they will grow again when the water comes back. As he passes through this dry place that is flat, where the water is been, among these dead reeds, we can see this shepherd as he begins to cast his eyes about and look for something. This lonely man of solitude that is so far away from so many people, unable to communicate with many people, must always be shut up with his own thoughts and his needs. And so here he is looking for something. And finally he stoops quickly and picks it up. It is a large reed. His intent is to push the pet out of it, causing it to be hollow. And in that reed, he is going to contrive and put together a simple flute so that he can play some music for himself, break the monotony of the silent hills. But as he works on it for a while, suddenly he looks at it. He'll never make a flute out of that reed because while it was growing long ago, weeks ago, months ago, somebody came that way and crushed it. The foot of some animal or some individual stepped on it and bruised it so that it did not grow up inside straight and true, but it was mashed, and now then it will not be what he looks for. You would expect him to snap it between his fingers and throw it away, but not he, because he is the mender of the broken reeds. I can see him, the prophet said, as he takes the broken reed, as he works upon it, and he brings out of it something that will make music where nothing but hopelessness and deadness had been before. Isaiah goes ahead to say about this one who rose in high prophetic profile 727 years before Mary held him in her arms. He said that the smoking flax he would not quench. This is reference, of course, to the light that was lit in the Israeli homes so long ago, and perhaps in some remote sections of that country still is. It was just a simple light, a wick laid in a bowl of oil, and perhaps it was something like a particular dish with a spout on it, and then the wick laid in it. Reminded me of the old kerosene lamps that we used to have on the farm. We were not rich people. We only had two. The folks that were rich had one in every room, but we only had two. If you wanted a light in another room, you simply picked up the lamp and you carried it with you. The chimneys, uh, some people call them chimneys, we call them chimneys, and uh, <clears throat> they would sometimes get uh, smutted up. The only way we knew how to do them, we didn't wash them, we just simply tore some pages out of Montgomery Ward catalog, wadded them up real good thrust them down into the, uh, <clears throat> the, the chimney and twisted it around until you raked off all the smut. And then you uh, were ready to go. That is, if you had enough kerosene in the bowl of the lamp. Of course, we didn't call it kerosene. We call it coal oil. Well, <clears throat> sometimes the coal oil will get down low in the bowl. And if you didn't have any in the uh, in the can, coal oil can, well, you could pour water in there. 
And it would lift the level of the oil up until the short wick would touch it, and then you would have light for another night. But if the water got mixed too much with it, it would begin to smolder and pop and pop and pop. If there was another lamp that had more oil in it, of course, you just blew it out and uh, <clears throat> pinched off the spark if there was one left on the wick and you lit another lamp. But this one that Isaiah saw, in symbolism, he said, the smoking flax he would not quench. That which only smoked in such an irritating way, he would not put away into obscurity, but he would nurse it in whatever it was necessary. He would take care of it, and he would cause it to burn brightly so that it could be set in the room where it could shed light and other people could be helped. And so tonight, from this simple reference here that was made by the great prophet Isaiah, I would like to introduce to you Someone that knows no years and somebody that is outside the frame of time who never changes. He who took care of smoking flaxes long ago and who mended the broken reeds is among us tonight. He has come to this service, the mender of the broken reeds. And I am thankful that he is here. Praise God, because in this day, there is so much among people that I meet that needs to be helped, that needs to be mended, that needs to be taken care of. There are the bruises of the past. And when I talk about bruises tonight, in the 61st chapter of Isaiah, I believe it is, the prophet again spoke of him. And Jesus used that for his text when he preached his first sermon in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I was reading that here a while back, and I said, what a strange thing. Jesus Christ knew that there were people who would be captives, not of iron bars or of concrete walls, but people who would be captured and incarcerated by bruises. Captives of bruises. I meet them every day. There may be somebody here tonight that knows something about that. The mender of the bruised reeds often comes to take care of the bruises of the past. That's what he does. There is nobody that can do that but him. A psychiatrist will invite you to his couch and ask you many questions and take you apart, but he can never put you back together again completely. But the one that I am talking about tonight is the Father of Spirits, has an ability to go deep down in the human soul, where the bruises are, not on the outside, where the blood flow will take the discoloration off of the skin in time, but deep down where blood cannot heal. Deep down where a polis cannot be laid. Deep down where the surgeon's knife cannot extricate. Deep down in the spirit where the bruise is. I have met people, I have known people who were captured by bruises, incarcerated by them, captives of things of the past that they could never forget and never transcend, never rise above the bruises of the past. 
the healer of the broken reeds, the bruised reeds. There are so many things in life, you know, that makes us to need somebody like this. We need Jesus because nobody can do that but Him. And there are so many bruises that a person encounters, and there are so many things that will bruise you. And I would not doubt at all tonight that I speak to somebody in this congregation who has had some things that have crossed your path 20, 30, 40, five years ago that you couldn't help. I cannot control the circumstance. It comes barreling in to your life and to my life like a Mack truck to flatten us out and to roll over us. And we cannot always stop it nor have any absolute control over it at all. That's the reason why we need the mender of the bruised reeds, the healer of the broken reeds. The older I get, the more convinced I am, my dear friends, that God made us and put us together in such a way that nobody can be complete nor can be safe without the Lord. You just can't do it. He brings to us an ingredient of life that is so sorely and absolutely needed, and life can never be completed and never can be counted whole without Him the mender of the bruised reeds. And he's here tonight. Thank God he's here tonight. I have seen him in action so many times. I've seen him come where the bruises were so deep and, 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 and so horrible and traumatic. I have seen him lay his gentle hands of healing there. I have. We cannot choose our birth, the home that we were born into, we had no control over our parents and the home that was raised in. There are so many eventualities and variables that goes with life. No way to avoid circumstance. I remember a woman that came into our assembly, a woman of the night and of the streets. And the Lord loved her and lifted her and saved her. She didn't have any way to make her living. We helped her after she quit her despicable way of life. We brought her into our home, and we paid her far more than she was worth simply because that uh, we wished to help her, and she took care in her clumsy way. She was not even a good housekeeper. She was, had been so sloppy in all of her life. But one day, we were having a cup of coffee at the bar in the kitchen, and uh, she, we were talking. We, I simply told her, I said, you know, we're so glad you're here. We're thankful that you came our way. We love you, and there are so many people in the church that love you. This is your family. This is your home. She began to cry. Tears just dripped from her chin, and she had this to say. She said, well, I'm thankful for that, but I haven't gotten used to it yet. And I don't feel like that I have the... Uh, I don't feel right. I don't feel right sometimes in church that the devil comes and, and he, he torments me and uh, he talks to me and he accuses me. But I have seen that woman as she has gone on. God has given her a beautiful life. And those deep down bruises that was beneath the surface, he laid a warm, gentle hand and he took the ache away, the healer of the bruised reeds. 
the healer up the bruised reeds. He has his own precious way of doing exactly that. Yes, he does. And I thank God for that. I think of him that day as he went through old Jericho and outside the road there was a man reaching out an empty cup shouting for alms. When Bartimaeus knew that he was in the presence of Jesus Christ, he threw aside his robe, staggered through the shallow ditch, didn't stop until he found, felt the hard-packed earth underneath his sandals. Then his groping hands thrashed out and felt out around him and his sightless condition. Continually he was calling out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And the Lord of glory who was on his way to die for a world stopped that day. The man's name was Bartimaeus, which means that Bar means son, and Timaeus means blind. He was the son of the blind, born in a home where his dad had never seen. A dad who could offer him nothing but some of the expertise of getting his cup filled with money to teach his only son perhaps how to be a good beggar, and this was as far as he could go. He was framed in by the circumstance of his home and of his birth. Until that day, he met the healer of the bruised reeds, and he gave him his sight. There are some people that are blinded, not physically, but blinded deep down, who are not able to see just exactly like they ought to see. It was in the year of uh, 1946, or 1955 rather, that a man 46 years old came up from <clears throat> north of the Kham River in Korea. He came down to the Presbyterian uh, uh, Medical Center in Chamyu, and he brought his son. His son was in great pain. He was dragging a leg that was useless. There was a bony, uh, hard growth above the knee. X-ray and a little examination confirmed the fact that he had cancer of the bone. Doctor diagnosed the case and told the father, we will need to amputate your son's leg. We will need to take it off at the hip. I believe if we do that right now, that there is a good chance of his surviving. If we don't, of course, he does not have any hope. And so, of course, we need your permission to take his leg off. The father said, no, you will not take my son's leg off. You will not amputate it. And the doctor talked with him again. Yes, he said, I understand what you're saying, but you're not, uh, you're not going to take my boy's leg off. He turned to the boy who was 18. He said, son, do you understand what, uh, uh, what the situation is? And a little further explanation, the son said, yes, I believe what you're saying. He said, you're telling me I have cancer, and if my leg is not taken off, I will die. He said, I understand that, and I believe what you're saying. But, and he said, I am willing for my leg to be taken off. I want to live. But he said, uh, I would not go against my father. The doctor went in and spoke to the staff and said, some of you go out there and try to talk some sense into that man's head and see what you can do with him. And one or two did, and they talked to him, and they came back and they told the doctor, he knows what you've said. The situation is exactly this. It's not the matter of money. He has the money to pay for the operation. But this is what he says. I could not go back to the village and live there 
with my head up if I had a boy that only had one leg. It would bring shame upon me. The boy, he had a cancer on his leg. The dad, he had the cancer of pride or something else in his soul and in his spirit. A strong sense of false values. And I meet people every day like that who are crowded out of the path of reality, who act and react in adverse ways until you wonder why, what's going on here, and so on. And I might be speaking tonight to somebody here whose public relations is not a real good thing. On the job and elsewhere, you would admit the fact deep inside, I don't have the friends that other people have. I wish that I did. I wish that I felt the warmth of human acceptance around me. But I am all locked up on the inside and I, I'm not communicating and coming across like I ought to. Prisoners of bruises, incarcerated by hurts of happenings long ago. The world is full of them. That is just exactly why tonight that people need the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the only one that can come and mend the bruised reeds. Praise God. He will not break them. The world would if you don't fit and so on. Well, that's, that's too bad. But not the Lord. He has His own precious way of coming, friend, and supplying the need and lifting and help, helping and strengthening. Praise God. I was reading some time ago about a woman, and she was a Polish woman. If I remember right, correctly, she went to a plastic surgeon in California. She was a lovely woman, even though now she was uh, <clears throat> into her forties. But still, she had a lovely face, nice bone structure, and she had kept herself well. She asked the the cosmetic <clears throat> surgeon to take two hideous scars off of her face. One on this side and another off of this side. He examined those scars closely and after a while, after he had studied them and looked at them, he told her, said, I can take them off and I can, I can do you a good job. I think I can promise you that you can be taken care of in such a way that no one will ever know that your face is scarred unless they look closely and uh, search for it. And so the lady was happy. But before she left, the doctor said, maybe I shouldn't ask it. But said, you know, this is a, an unusual scars on your face. Would you mind telling me how you got them? And she told her story. World War II. My husband happened to be home from the military at that time when the Germans broke into the house. Her child was 18 months old. They thought we had military information, which we didn't. And in order to extract some kind of confession or information, they snatched the baby out of my arms. And after a while, one strong man lifted it up above his head and brought it crashing down on the, on the pavement. And then to be sure it was dead, he went and stood on its head and he turned back and forth on its head until he was sure that it was dead. 
They took my husband away, and I was taken away also, and I never saw him again. They asked me for information, and I had none. And finally, as a last resort, they said, We will scar your face. We'll take your beauty away. And they did. It was fortunate that I survived the concentration camps after the war. I had friends in America. I came here to America. I had a good job. I've done all right. Liberty. You can feel something drop off of your shoulders. You can feel an ache go away. You can feel peace like a river begin to flow. When the healer of the bruised reeds come by, the bruised reed he will not break. And the smoking flax he will not quench. That's the way it is with our Lord. You know, how does he do that, those bruises of the past? He does it. He's able to do it because that Jesus Christ is timeless. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Time moves us away from geographical locations and from locations that is, <clears throat> is pinpointed and referred to in time and on the calendar. But in the Lord, there is no movement. He is the great I am. He is not represented to us as the great I shall be, for that would infer that He is in fear in some degree in improving. God knows no improvement. He is as strong tonight as He ever was and yet not any weaker. He never will be any stronger than what he is tonight. He is just simply, flatly, resolutely, and absolutely the same. He is sovereign. He is complete. And he resides everywhere at once. He is a begetting, being without a beginning, a circumference that knows no measurement. He is always, and he is everywhere. And as far as time is concerned, he occupies every moment that has been and every moment presently that shall be, because he is like that. So he said unto the people who questioned him, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. They could not understand that. But he could have elaborated by saying, I was there when Abraham looked into the face of Sarah for the first time. I was there when they held Isaac in their arms for the first time. I am there now looking at Sarah's face as she lifts Isaac to kiss him. I am there now because God knows no past. He knows no present and no future. He is always the great I am. Why am I saying that? Because you can't go back to some spot some place, some time, and correct something. That thing rises up like a ghostly specter to haunt you, and so on. But God is present everywhere. I went down to the garden too, not too long ago, on a Sunday morning, and I heard a Scottish preacher preach. He said that he had been haunted over the fact that of a sin that he had committed back in Scotland when he was 18 years old. And he could not be assured that God had forgiven him of that sin. 
And he said, I know it was the enemy of my soul that was bringing this guilt back on me, but it tortured me. And I made up my mind as soon as I could. I was going back to Scotland. I was going back to that spot. And I was going to pray about that. And he said, and it happened on a cold winter day. The rain was falling and it was mixed with snow and with sleep. I was alone and I walked to that spot, he said, out in the open. And I went to that place where I had committed that particular sin. I positioned myself as near as possible and correctly so. And then I looked up at the stinging sleep and the cold wet rain. And I said, oh, Jesus Christ, if you can, if you will, would you look at me as I am now on this spot of ground on such and such a day at such and such a time? You saw me as I did thus and so. I have come long miles. I have come to this spot. I have come to ask you to forgive me. He said, now I know that God had forgiven before, but I just was not conscious of it. But I felt, he said, the forgiveness of God come down to me. And I knew that the Lord indeed had forgiven me. Listen to me carefully tonight, friend. Your greatest needs are not in the monetary world. Your greatest needs is not in what the hand can touch. I am preaching tonight, perhaps to somebody here that is a beggar in the realm of the Spirit who stands in rags and tatters and destitute as far as some of the riches of God is concerned, bruised, incarcerated by bruises. But he is here tonight, the healer of the bruised reeds. And he will not break them but he will strengthen and he will sustain. Einstein said that, that the fastest thing going was light and that when speed reached that velocity, that then, of course, there was no time because that was the fastest thing moving and time is only a measurement of motion. And since this moves the fastest of anything, you can't go beyond that. And at that, it's zero. There is no time. Jesus said, I am the light. And he is the light. And as far as he is concerned, there's no time. If I speak now to somebody here that's been bothered by some lie of the devil that drags up something perhaps that's been long under the blood a long time ago, I would like for you to imagine this one, the healer of the bruised reeds, just as present right now at that moment and act and place of your sin as he was that day in that moment long ago. Watch him as the mender of the bruised reeds stands there. Would you talk to him in that posture and say, Lord, deal with it now. The bruise. It's far removed in time. The bruise is deep in spirit. It's buried in memory. 
It's back in the deep recesses of subconsciousness. There's so much of me I cannot get my hands on. But oh God, you that knows no time, you that is a spirit that can go down where the need is, won't you take care of it? And he will. Yes, he will. I, I know he will. Praise God. Hallelujah. Some time back, I was supposed to send a cassette tape up to Western Apostolic Bible College. Now I delayed in sending it because here and there, and then I, I just needed to get that thing off. So I spoke to a pastor up in Aurora, Illinois, where I was uh, ministering, and I asked him if he had a good tape recorder, and he said he did. And I said, after church tonight, well, after church, I'd like to use it if you don't mind. And so he took me into the office before church and showed it to me and showed me how to start it and stop it, rewind, whatnot. Gave me a new tape. So after church, I went back there and I wrote down what I wanted to put on that tape. And it was supposed to be correct and I wanted to do that as good as I could do it. And so I spoke into the tape recorder. I made several mistakes. So I rewound it and I did it again. And I listened to it. I did better, but... I still had mistakes. I rewound it. I went back over it. And uh, I did it again. This time, I, I tried to be very careful. I got all set. I read that again. And then I spoke into the recorder. Everything went fine, except I stumbled on one word. And when I listened to it, I came across that uh, mutilated word. Oh, my son. I have to do that again. And then I thought to myself, I don't have to do that again. I remembered the radio station on campus, the big reel that was there. And I knew that they would put that on that big tape reel. And I could see the hand of the technician as he could turn that reel and find just one word or part of a word. And then with his scissors, he would reach up and snip it off and stick it back. He would edit it. He would cut it out. And it would be gone. And the people would not know it. He would take it out. Because a man came to me, came to our altar one Sunday night, had a very responsible position with Phillips Oil Company. He had uh, defrauded the company. He had juggled the books but he was the one that brought it to their attention. They didn't catch him. They never missed anything. They didn't know things was going wrong. But he had been an honest man all of his life. But under stress, he had done this. He was humiliated. He was so ashamed. He, he made it up. He took care of everything. And so shattered and shaken in his own self, he made his way to the altar of prayer. Wept bitter tears and... He said he felt like God had forgiven him. That was Sunday night. We had a science revival on the college campus, meeting evolution head on the next week. And uh, in the auditorium there, the, someone said, there's a man to see you. Well, I was on stage and he came up. He was haggard. He, was, he looked terrible. I said, what can I do for you? He said, I've got to talk to you, Pastor. 
we went backstage and found a musty room and sat down in a couple of chairs. And I said, what's, what's the problem? He said, it's, he said, I, that's what I did. He said, I, I can't get away from it. He said, I, I did it purposely and I did it deliberately. And I, I was, it was wrong. And I never did anything like that in my life. And I did it, pastor. I said, well, that was what you prayed about Sunday night, wasn't it? Oh, yes, he said. And I, I said, and I believe you told me that you felt like that, that the Lord forgave you for doing that. Well, he said, I did. And I felt like God, and I do believe God has forgiven me. And I, uh, but I, I've asked him over and over again since Sunday night to forgive me. I took him by the hands and I said, would you promise me one thing? He said, what's that? I said, that you will never ask God to forgive you again for that. He said, why not? I said, because you're confusing God. What? He said, I said, you're confusing him. And I said, you don't want to confuse God, do you? He said, why no? He said, what do you mean confuse him? I said, because he don't know what you're talking about. I said, you're bringing up stuff here that he has no idea what you're talking about. And he said, how can you say that? I said, because when he forgives, he forgets. I said, he edited it. He snipped it out. As far as the recording is concerned, it was lifted out of the record. It was cast away. It is gone. Praise God. Took it away. Oh, the world needs the word I'm talking about tonight. And the older I get, the more sincerely I preach him. And the more honestly I present him. Because he's the one that's needed so badly. Where is it that people's hurting the most today? Not in their stomachs, but in their hearts. They need the healer of the bruised reeds. The man who lights the smoking flaxes of this life. And the bruises of the present he takes care of. There's some people that even right now are living in a bruised, incarcerated condition. And they don't have any yesterdays that they are thankful for and feel comfortable for. I meet people who do not even have a good, pleasant today that they can relax in. This day is all filled with hurts and, and with bruises and things that they cannot understand. That's right. I would like to remind you tonight of a man that's in the record. He didn't have a yesterday. I don't know what kind of a home he was raised in. I don't know. I only find him in writ as he was hanging, dying. He didn't even have a today. The people that he had sold his goods and fenced them to that he had stolen, they were not there to witness his death. This man did not have a kind and tender word that was offered to him. There was not even a today for a man like that. I wonder in this congregation tonight because of circumstance that I preach to somebody that the sun does not shine upon the minutes and the hours of your time frame. That today is taken from you as far as productivity and growth is concerned. Your life is filled with sound and fury and it signifies nothing. You need the healer of the Bruce Street. A man, in effect, said, Master, I have no yesterdays. I don't even have a today. But would you give me a tomorrow? 
when you come in your kingdom, would you give me a tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow. And the healer of the bruised reed had his word for it. And it came back like the crack of a pistol. He said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'll give you a today. Yes, I'll make a place for you. It'll be a meaningful one. If I speak tonight to somebody here who has never known the load lifted from your shoulder, nor the blush of God's forgiveness, nor the flow of a river of peace, your life is far from what it ought to be and what it could be. Yes, sir, you're living so far beneath your privilege. Yes, you are. I can't promise you that all of your problems goes away when the Lord comes, but I know that He helps. My brother-in-law was a great man, Henry Ebar. He only went to the third grade. Raised in a poor situation, we kids on the farm didn't have much to drink or to cheer us up. They used to put a coffee pot on the stove and it held a gallon. Had an old spot, spout on it and it'd cook and simmer and boil along all day and it gets powerfully strong from the sundown. But most of the time there wasn't anything left in it much. But we kids would come by when the parents were not looking. We'd turn up the whole pot and drink right out of the spout. Henry came along when he was just a, such a small fellow and he'd seen others do that. He reached up on the stove and he got a hold of that coffee pot and it was full, full of boiling coffee. Tilted it over right down, hit him on the head and right down his back and he took all the hair off from here back. His back, his neck, his head was scarred, ugly. And <clears throat> so this was another lick against him. He worked for 35 cents an hour when I first knew him in the sawmill. He would wear out a pair of tough leather gloves every week. A new pair of gloves was just as regular as the grocery bill on Saturday. And uh, this was his life. Drinks uh, cold water, always take your salt tablets because the old dolly runs are hot and so on. And there he lived. Never had a vacation. Lived in houses that were not sealed. Very poor fellow. And he struggled along through life. I'm glad the story doesn't end just exactly there. He had such a, such a humdrum way of life. But he made his way to an old-fashioned Pentecostal altar. Finally, how many years he wasted was too many. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Life changed for Henry Ebar. After that, he had somewhere to go. He had something to laugh about. He had friends to share something with. He was always there before church started. And he was the last one to leave. And when I looked down into my brother-in-law's casket not too long ago, I thought of the joy of the Lord that he had in his life. That life that was so grim, so gray, so monotonous, so filled with, with loneliness. The healer, the bruised reed, stepped in. 
the smoking flax flared up and burned brightly. The sun came up, looked like at noonday. And things were different because of him. I know tonight that I've been preaching a long time. And I've had the baptism of the Holy Ghost 44 years. But I preach this Christ tonight as radiantly and honestly and sincerely as this was the first sermon I ever preached about him. Because he gets sweeter as the days go by. The healer of the bruised reeds. He will give you a today if you don't have it. Praise God. I close tonight in saying this. Healer of the broken reeds will create for you a future. Yes, he will. I remember when I was just a small kid. Back home, there wasn't much to play with. If there were any toys, you made them yourself. We used to take these old brown snuff bottles that uh, Levi Garrett's snuff came in, and uh, we'd dig trenches, make these trenches railroads. And we these snuff bottles was uh, rail cars, and we'd shove them around through these trenches. And I was playing on an old clay route over across the field one day, I dug out some trenches and made a, some hills. And, but there was a big old tucked Jerusalem oak weed in the way there. And I tried to pull that thing up. I couldn't pull it up. Then I tried to break that old weed off. And I couldn't break it off. So I got it and I gave it some good twisting, you know. And it was very fibrous and tough. And it wouldn't twist off. And I turned it loose. It fell over. It was alive. It was green. And I looked at that, and I don't know why, but deep down, I got feeling sorry for that old wheat. And uh, I thought to myself, poor thing, it wants to live, and so on, putting up a hard fight. So I went back to the house, and I found some, got some sticks. And I rummaged around, found one of my sister's old stockings, and I came back across the, uh, <clears throat> the field. I straightened that old weed back up, put those sticks around there, and wrapped that old stocking around there real tight and tied it. And I forgot about it. It was late in the last part of summer, and I had to think about that old weed. I said, well, I wonder what happened. I went back out across the field, and the old, all the weeds were dead by that time. But there the old weed was. It had grown some more, and I undid the stocking. I took the stocking away, and the sticks fell off, and... The old weed was all healed up, and it had grown, and it had one of the finest lives that a weed could have. That's right. And you know, there's been times in my life that I felt so low down, and I felt so useless, and I felt so helpless, and then on top of that, circumstance had come along out of the blue and stepped right on top of me and crushed me and bruised me. And I couldn't help it. But I have always found help in the Lord Jesus. I have always found help in Him. I'd like to tell you in closing here about a woman. I'm going to call her Sue. Some of the kids that were working the streets from carpenter shop found her on the streets. 
She was a woman of ill repute. They brought her to church. She was about four months pregnant with a baby, and she had no idea who its father was. She was a dangerous woman in a way to have around. She didn't know how to interpret human kindness. She misread things. And she didn't know what love or kindness was. Why she ever came to church, I don't know, unless it was just the small voice of God that talked to her and steadied her and kept her there. I'll never forget one Sunday morning, I was walking down the altar way, praying with people, and I got down on the woman's side, and my eyes fell upon a huge pool of salted tears upon the altar. And then my eyes searched to find out who had wept those tears. And my heart gave a leap when it fell upon the wet face of Sue, who now had her hands in the air. She didn't receive the Holy Ghost that morning, but that was a great thing because she had cried. She had not cried in years, perhaps since the night that age 12 her father molested her. And now there she was, so bruised, so broken, so mean. And there she was. The Lord filled her with the Holy Ghost. She learned what love was. And then she was gone. And I said to my wife, where is Sue? And she said, I don't know. I think she has gone somewhere to give birth to her child. She was gone for several weeks. And one morning, I opened my Bible to preach, and I saw a neatly dressed lady come in to the back, walk across the back. She was tenderly carrying a very small baby in her arms. She had on a new dress, and it matched the color of her hair. Her hair was clean and washed, and she was neat. The dress was very cheap, but it became her, and uh, she looked every inch a lady. She came and sat down with her baby. It was Sue. Well, more time has passed by, and she hasn't lived with us for a long time, not worshipped in our church. But about three or four weeks ago, just as I was about to start my Bible class, I saw a fine looking couple standing or sitting over to my left. They were so outstanding, and I just stepped over to get acquainted before I opened the class. And she said, Pastor, I don't know whether you remember me or not. And I did remember her, but I didn't place her right then. And there was a fine-looking boy sitting there with a fresh, open face, and he was smiling at me too, and a very fine man sitting at her side. I said, let me see now. She said, I'm Sue. I, wanted, I want you to meet my husband. She introduced me to a very fine man. But I've been telling him about the church. And we have driven a long way to come back to the church that loved me, that took me in, that told me about Jesus. And there sat that fine little boy. Well, in about two or three more years, he'll be going to school. Now, what if somebody says to him, or if they could say such, who's your daddy? And suppose he should choose to really tell the truth. He would say, I don't know. Well, why don't you ask your mother? And what if he should say, my mother does not know who my father is. And then over him, there would come 
circumstance that would be licks against him. And if this should be in his life, psychologically it would be against him. There's a lot of things you can't help, can't help, can't help, can't help, can't help. Wait a minute. The healer of the bruised reeds can. For there is a scripture in Romans that tells us this, 8.28, For all things work together for the good to them who love the Lord, to them that are called according to His purpose. What am I saying? What if that boy sometimes in his life comes and gives his heart to God? You know what happens then? Purpose enters into his life. Chance of the night. A shameful thing of chance by a man she doesn't even know. It's gone and now purpose takes its place. Gone is quandary. Gone is emptiness. And he is not a child of chance but a child of purpose. That's what the healer of the bruised reeds can do. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good friends? said he. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, only a dollar, two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back came a gray-haired man and picked up the bow, wiping the dust from the old violin. He played a melody pure and sweet as the carol angels sing. Then the auctioneer said with a voice quite in low, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, only a thousand.